Stark Bill. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. In normal times, does anybody out there still remember normal times? Uh, I write about baseball for The Athletic. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And Doug, I don't have to tell you, it's been a weird week, man. I, I literally have not left my house other than to get the mail and take out the trash since the last time we spoke. I, I should admit, uh, we did try to have a brief conversation with our neighbors from like a hundred feet away, and it was pathetic, <laughs> pathetic. Every Everything that either of us said, the reaction was, what? <laughs> it, was, it was just insane. All right, so tell me, tell me about you. Yeah, get a megaphone. You know that that's need that one. Would solve it. Yeah, um, is, is, you have to order it on Amazon though. This is you true. Go to the megaphone store right now. Well, I, I have been kind of MacGyver over here. You know, like you kind of deal with whatever you have, and you realize how much stuff and junk you might have. Uh, you know, there's a privilege to that. So I have been, you know, finding basketball pins to blow up basketballs and whatever you can try to do. So, yeah. uh, but, but my, you know, my challenge is, you know, I have four kids that are 11 and under and I want to put them in a giant bubble if I can. Uh, <laughs> the only, the only time I've left the house is taking them to the doctor uh, or. Oh man. It, yeah. So I'm trying not to have that happen. So each day we add more layers of bubble wrap around them. And, you know, hope for the best. So it's uh, it's surreal, no question about yeah. it. But just try to, you know, keep in touch with and And, of course, in our case, talk some baseball or life around baseball and and go from there. Yeah. Well, good luck on the bubble wrap. That's, yes. that's not going to work well. Uh, you know, Doug, we're still dealing with very different times. So for now, Starkville is going to continue to be a little different. Still doesn't feel like. It's the time for trivia or stupid baseball bets. So we're not going to do that yet. We're just going to do what we did a week ago. We're going to have a conversation about all sorts of stuff that interests us. Uh, we're going to talk about whether this situation is providing baseball with an opportunity uh, to be bold and experiment with a whole array of ideas when it returns. Uh, we'll talk about our movie careers and a goofy thing that I did last week to feed my need to watch baseball in any form. And we're going to talk about an incredible story in The Athletic about how we invented our own code breaker algorithm in the office so we could steal signs just like the pros do. It's just wild, man, this thing. But first, why don't we try to answer the question that people ask us every day. And that question is, when the hell is baseball coming back? Uh, the answer, as best I can tell, is nobody knows. Not Rob Manfred, not Tony Clark, not Mike Trout, 
not Anthony Fauci, not the amazing Kreskin. Nobody knows. But based on the conversations that I've been having, I'm going to set the over-under bar on when we come back at July 1st. So what do you think, Doug? Do you want the over or the under on July 1st? I have to go over on that one. Uh, you know, it's, as you know, we really don't know. <laughs> but but uh, I was going to throw August 1st out there. You know, I know there's sort of an eight-week marker and then just getting people ready and just all the uncertainty that, that comes from just the fact that, you know, 50 states and international play it's it's so complicated and you know if you get 60 games in maybe you know maybe that's a season or some sort of season uh my college season i guess but uh there's a point where you you just don't have enough games to figure out who deserves to go to the next round i don't know how you you do that off of a 30 game schedule for example so uh but yeah. you know i you know it's it's a it's a tough spot because there is some tipping point where baseball is going to have to ask is this considered a season we played 12 games uh maybe you could make it like the nfl and play on sundays or something i don't know it's a, it's really really yeah. hard to say yeah we definitely need to contemplate that i i think we actually even have to contemplate uh that the question of whether we see no games and no season i mean that's a really dark scenario I think it's an unlikely scenario, but when I ask everyone I talk to, uh, they're stressed. They are. And they all tell me the chances of that are not zero. Uh, let's hope not. But if we take the over on that July 1st date and we're talking, say, August 1st, it definitely raises that topic that you just mentioned. How many games does baseball need to play for it to be a real season? Before we pick that one apart, Let's remind you, Doug and I bring you Starkville every week, and it's now available free and in its entirety everywhere you find your podcasts. That would be the Apple Podcast Store, TuneIn, Spotify, and of course, the Athletic app and the Athletic website. Uh, also, if you would like to read our brilliant work and the even more brilliant work of our other amazing writers at The Athletic, we're now offering a free 90-day trial. If you're interested in that, go check it out at theathletic.com slash Starkville. All right, Doug, let's ask that question again. How many games does baseball need to play for it to feel like a legitimate season? Is it 140? Is it 100? Is it 80? Is it 60? What's the number there? Well, well we know it's you know, not going to be 162. And we're no, we know that no. you think about the split season in 81. And there's some examples of, of strikes and pickups here and there. But I, I mean, you, you almost have to call it something else. Like if you played 60 games, something about 60 jumps at me, that could be something. Uh, but man, you know, teams that hot and they win 20 out of 25. And, you know, how do you catch that team? So It'd be like whoever's hot. It'd be very interesting to see how teams would be constructed if you had 60 games to work with. Like, what would you do with your bullpen and how would you decide to, who to call up and would you expand, you know, try to expand your rosters and all these? Would you have four four man rotations? I don't know. I, I, that's fascinating. But, um, you know, I'll throw 60 out there as, as kind of a cut cutoff, a minimal. After that, it just, it just really, really uh, gray because pretty soon you're, you're just playing a football season. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And all right, let's dig into that scenario a little bit. Can't start playing again until July or August. I mean, I, I think it's still important to play, but when you do come back after all those months, what's one of the challenges? You have to reconnect with people. Uh, they're baseball fans, but they've been through a lot. Look, if we're not playing baseball again for four months, another four months, think about what that means, about what has gone on in the world. So here's the question. How do you reconnect with the people who should be caring about your sport? Ken Rosenthal and I have a piece in The Athletic about that very subject. Uh, we've both been talking to people around the game who tell us this is the time to experiment. Take some ideas for a spin that people might be intrigued by. Maybe you'll find out you like those ideas. Maybe you'll find out that you don't like those ideas. But I'm just going to give you five ideas from the story we wrote. Then I want you to tell me one or two that you would like to see tried out. All right, one, if you're going to start back up in July or August, just start the season back up with the All-Star game. Uh, that actually happened after the strike in 1981. So that's a thought. I like that thought. Uh, two, you're going to have to try to cram a lot of games in a really tight window. So play a doubleheader, say, every Saturday or every Sunday just to make up games. And I know it's been kicked around. Play seven-inning games when you do those doubleheaders, like in the minor leagues. Or maybe game one is nine innings. Game two is seven innings. Um, three. Maybe try out the minor league tiebreaker rule. That would be, you know, when you get to the 10th or the 11th or the 12th inning, you're going to start that inning with a runner on second because you're trying not to burn out pitching staffs. Uh, again, it's a it, – hold on. I'm going to explain this. It's a time <laughs> when you're trying to squeeze in as many games as possible. You, you have You don't have the ordinary window to do that. You don't have off days to do that. So you can't burn out pitching staffs. That's the reason. I'll let, I'll let you respond to this in a minute. Uh, four, reimagine the postseason. Play the World Series, maybe even the entire postseason, at a neutral site, a bunch of neutral sites, warm weather sites, dome stadiums. Maybe even expand the number of teams since you didn't play a full season, right? Or let's say you get back really late, mid-August, even later than that. You don't even try to play a normal season at that point, but you want to play. So maybe you turn this into a series of tournaments. You have a division tournament. Then you have a league tournament. Then you have October or November Madness, a tournament for all 30 teams. You'd have a champion. You'd have a winner, but the winner would not be the World Series winner. It wasn't a normal season. So those are five of the ideas that you can find in our piece. Uh I wanted to ask you what you like, but obviously, <laughs> from the grunting that went on, you hate the that tiebreaker rule with the runner on second. So, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Feel free to vent. Okay. It's funny you mentioned that. I went to a double-A game a couple of years ago uh, in Hartford, the Yard Goats, and actually Tim Tebow was playing, and they they tied, and they went into the extra inning, and the guy just sort of appeared at second base. And... So I took a poll, and my poll, let me see if I can dig it up here. Uh, so I decided, what do you call this person just spontaneously arriving at second base? Like, how did he get there? 
So I wanted to, you know, come up with a stat. So we called, we had a choice, spontaneous appearance, <laughs> the, the magic double, an out resurrection, or flu powder arrival for all you Harry Potter fans out there. So, um, <laughs> so Ma magic double ended up winning. So I think that I struggle with like, how did this guy get there? Like, did he just like, just show up uh, off the, you know? So that's kind of weird. You know, yeah. the stats kind of, it, you know, so I have trouble with that one. I, I do get the picture preserving aspect of it a hundred percent. This is, and, and when you mentioned the double headers, if you have pace of game issues or you have, bullpen issues where you're pu putting in pitchers in every scenario, those seven inning games could still go three and a half hours. So they're going to have to try to address that. Um, but yeah, the my favorite aspect of this is what you mentioned about the tournament play. I think that is where it could be very exciting. If you have a short season, you know, if it's 45 games, you could absolutely come up with something fantastic. I was in Orlando playing for the Orlando Cubs when the World Cup arrived there. And it was unbelievable to see the different countries uh, be excited about it. You know, every game, every match was was something magical. They could try to capture that in, in just the scarcity of games. And, you know, whether it's, like you said, these rivalries or rotation in the division, uh, you could have like, you know, sudden death games, elimination, all kinds of stuff. That would be amazing. And you know, if you really want to go to town, you could bring in all these aspects of different sports. I don't know. It's a great time to experiment. Um, you know, you could try different things and, you know, I don't know, have shootouts over time, you know, I don't know, three pointer. I don't know. I'm just, you know, you, you know, I know that I know all the, the heart, I know the purists are, you know, shaking right now, but I, I'm kind of a purist in certain respects, but I, it is an opportunity. And I, I love the tournament mini season idea. I think that has a lot of potential. All right, but I, I also really like that idea. I was talking to a, a, a National League executive the other day, and he came up with that one. And I know Craig Calcaterra wrote about it on NBC Sports last week. Um, it, it's really fun to contemplate all the possibilities there. But we're going to have to thrash through this tiebreaker rule because let me get this straight. You want to shoot three-pointers, but you don't want to run around second? You want to decide the games by shooting three-pointers? How much is Steph Curry worth under that hitting, scenario? It'd be hitting three-pointers. I mean, you have to throw everything on the table. The, the magic double, though, I just... Ooh, that's the time. I have to credit yeah. Wes Alexander, a friend of mine, to, for the magic <laughs> double a, term. Oh, my goodness. It's a really good term. I do love that. <laughs> The terminology. Um, you, you realize that in the minor leagues last year, there was a perfect game that a pitcher lost because a team lost because of that rule. I can't remember exactly how it worked, but it was all right. They put the runner on second and it was like wild pitch, pass ball, or wild pitch, wild pitch to, to, to score the run, but nobody oh, ever no. reached base. Oh, so, my goodness. Uh, so you know, as like we love the weird and the wacky. On this podcast, I've built an entire career around the weird and the wacky. And there's more weird and wacky that goes with playing 17 innings than there is with the runner on second base. But there's definitely some weirdness and some wackiness that that, that goes with it. And I, I, I've never been a big fan of that rule. But under these circumstances, we have a laboratory 
potential where you can try stuff like this out. And maybe we like it. Maybe we really, really don't like it. But this is our chance to find out. And I, I think that's the spirit of this. It's going to be an odd season anyway or an odd <laughs> mini season anyway. So why not use that opportunity to try stuff? And Doug, here's one more idea that we heard. Now is the time to do a new labor deal, or at least, at the, at the very least, extend the current labor deal during this period. I just want you to think about how damaging it could be for this sport to play just this strange mini-season this year and then launch right into an off-season of labor strife because it would be a year away from the expiration of the current basic agreement, play 50 games, and then go into labor strife? That seems like a really bad plan. So what, what do you think of that concept? Extend the labor deal or negotiate a new one while we're dealing with all this? Well, it's a great idea. It's, it's a great idea. And, and there's so many major issues that are going to be on the table so how they can get past it is to get more time. Because first of all, I mean, you know, even on the side, the Astros, the whole sign ceiling is still like out there. What is that? Red Sox, what's going to happen? So there's an integrity issue that's been raised to the nth degree now about the game. So, you know, all of a sudden, you, you, can you imagine if you played a 30-game schedule and everybody's talking about, is this team stealing signs? That's a problem. Um, you know, you have many factors that are going to be hugely uh, impactful for the future of the game, but you're going to need time to work it out. Just simply how all this labor stuff will work with this shortened season. Uh, the big questions that are raised from free agency to many other aspects of it. So, right. um, so yeah, there's no question that they should try to give themselves some time to work. And one way to do that is just to build in an extension for the worst case scenario. Cause you don't want to go into the off season, you know, locking out strikes, having these kinds of conversations, and then try to go into a new season with so much uncertainty. So 100% agree with that. Yeah, and I, I think in concept, in a perfect world, that's exactly what would happen. But when people have asked me for quite some time now what the chances are of getting the, a next, the next labor deal done without a work stoppage, here's how I describe the relationship right now between MLB and the union. Uh, and I don't say this with any great sense of joy, but they have a hard—they would have a hard time agreeing on what Starbucks to go get coffee at, so they could kick around anything. That's where we are. It's just a really difficult time in the the in the panoply of baseball labor relations, and I'm nervous. I mean, just to try to illustrate that think of where we are like right now it's we're closing in on two weeks since baseball halted spring training and, and the season obviously uh we're almost at what should have been opening day this thursday and it's taken all this time for mlb and this union to try to agree on a what players should get paid if there's not going to be a full season and B, the most contentious issue that they've been dealing with, which is service time. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about service time, so let's boil it down to a really simple question. Doug, let's say 
that the Dodgers play like 60 games this season. At the end of that, should Mookie Betts be a free agent? Yes or no? I mean, I'm I'm actually frozen with that question because <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I only gave you two choices, yes or no. Frozen was not a choice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I, I, I mean, I'll say no. I mean, I, I mean, it's, I'll say no. I mean, it, it, there's got to be some cutoff in there. And, and the reality is you have to also, this is where baseball has gotten historically in trouble. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of it also. When you look back to PEDs and the, and the Players Association, you get, as you just mentioned, so focused on that tit for tat relationship, the give an inch, take a mile relationship between owners, players, and players. And, and of course the Players Association. So, that relationship sometimes drives what you're thinking of as what is success and failure in terms of negotiation. And you kind of forget to look at the the big picture of, you know, okay, how does this going to be perceived to the fans? And the, you get so lost in that relationship. And, and so in this particular context, you have to look at how the world, our country is dealing with a a crisis and the sacrifices people are making, the risk people are taking to keep us safe and all these things. So with, within that, all of us has to kind of do our part. And and maybe it is, you know, service time. It's not going to be fair across the board. But, you know, Mookie Betts went to L.A. and then he played for whatever period of time and then he's a free agent again and he's back in the market. How does that work exactly? It just seems like just like the extension of the labor agreement, you have to come up with some way to kick the can a little bit down to kind of retain the structure and the, and the rosters to a certain uh, fluidity for going forward. So um, I'm not saying this is like ironclad. That's just my first knee jack react jerk reaction to it, but we all have to take a step back and chip in for the, for the greater good. And, and this is one of those examples, not just the players, obviously the, the owners in the league also. So it's not simple. But wow, I can't imagine having a, you know, if we, if you lose a whole season and then Betts is a free agent, how does that work exactly? It's, it's, it's absolutely off the rails. <laughs> I remember the when Dodgers would, would want Alex Verdugo back, I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And I remember when we, the strike in 94, I got a letter saying, you've been recalled. I forgot where I was, double A. You've been recalled. And then it said, do not report. That was the whole letter. It was like a telegram. So we started asking the question, do I get service time? They're calling me up. So th this is where, if you want to pinpoint the thing that's going to make that negotiation fall apart when they need an extension or some way to buy time, this is it. Well, you're, I mean, you've illustrated very vividly why this has been such a bone of contention. Here's one other thing to remember. Uh, teams are going to lose millions of dollars this year, uh, no matter, I mean, even if they... If, if, if there's a 60 or 80 or 100 game season, the, the losses are still going to be in the millions per team and the industry is going to lose billions. So it's not going to be a good time to be a free agent next winter. It, it makes you think, would Mookie even want to become a free agent next winter? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, he would because of age and because players... I mean, service time is at the heart of this entire system, and service time matters on that level. But from a standpoint of a guy who thought he was going to get a $400 billion contract, it's going to be hard for any team to commit to that 
under these circumstances. So let's keep that in mind. Um, hey, let's switch gears. Let's talk about an incredible story in The Athletic last week that I was a part of, along with Eno Saris and Trent Rosencrantz. Uh, at The Athletic, here's what we did. This is amazing. We invented our own codebreaker algorithm to, to, to code signs like a lot like what the Astros used. Now, obviously, I didn't invent it. I can't do that. Uh, this was actually a brainstorm of one of our founders, Adam Hansman. Uh, he came up with this idea. Then he asked uh, our great data scientist, Michael Chang, if he could cook up something like this. And of course he did. So Michael invented this algorithms. Then we tried this thing out on real games that we had on video. And amazingly, it freaking worked. <laughs> and how about this, Doug? You can even download it and try it yourself. Uh, it's, it, there's a link in the piece itself that will allow you to download it. Then if you know what the hell you're doing, you can watch some video of actual games and see if you can figure this out. Amazing, isn't it? Pretty cool, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. The whole thing just boggles the mind. So let me tell you about my role in this extravaganza. I was the one who showed video of Game 1 of the World Series, Astros Nationals, to Max Scherzer, who pitched that game, and Kurt Zuki, who caught that game, and got their reaction to it. That was quite an experience. So first I showed them the first at-bat of the game. I, I did this separately, okay? started with Scherzer. Uh, first I showed them the first at-bat of the game. At this point, they're just using simple signs. And our code breaker picks up the patterns within the first four pitches. So, all right, I'm sitting there with Max. He's watching this thing. He, he, like after one pitch, he, he knows this is the first bat of the game. And he said, I don't even need to see this. We're using basic signs. I know you're going to get them. I need to see this with a runner on second base. So, all right, then we showed him two more at-bats with a runner on second. At this point, the National are using way more complex signs. And Max is dug in. He's staring at this thing like it's, it's a Bruder film. And it, it takes Codebreaker a while. But midway through the second at bat with a man on second, it figures it out. And Max says immediately, oh, I see how you got it. And he says to me, tell me how you got it. So, of course, I've got no idea. <laughs> I, I didn't get it. The Codebreaker got it. I mean, I told him, look, I saw immediately that you changed your patterns, you changed your indicators, but I didn't dig in deep enough myself to know what you did. And so he says to me, all right, now, if you tell me how you got it, I'll tell you. But if you don't know, I'm not giving away our secrets. <laughs> this was such vintage Max Scherzer. He studied this video like a heart surgeon studies an echocardiogram. It was classic. All right, so then... A little later, I showed the same thing to Kurt Suzuki. And he kept asking me, how did you do this? How do you know this? And I had to answer, I didn't do anything. I don't know anything. I'm just showing you the video. So he kept watching it, trying to figure out how it was that they gave away their signs. So finally, he said he was baffled about quite how we got it. 
But then he, he said something that really explains why this is such a big issue in the sport. He said, too many smart people in this game. I don't know how they're getting it. I don't know how the algorithm works. So, Doug, that, that was just a short version. But here, here was my conclusion. If we can sit around our office and invent an algorithm in our spare time that works <laughs> this well, doesn't that mean that all 30 teams have one of these? And, like, I want you to think about how that complicates the life of every pitcher and every catcher in every game because now we all know how easy it is for the other team to steal every sign. So isn't that the world now? Oh, 100%. And, and all these teams have been working on it. And once again, I think the, a couple of things from the article that stood out about, you know, yeah, I, I get it. You're always trying to decipher the other team, just like in football. You have bird's eye and you're trying to say, oh, they're in zone or whatever. But the it's the real time that really blew this up, right? It's the fact right. that it's yep. working in real time. And so, yes, your job is to decode. And, and as uh, how did Bauer phrase it? He said something like, he said, that's scouting. There's a difference between scouting and stealing and like, you know, illegally stealing signs. So preparation is one thing, and, and these players are incredibly prepared. But once you bring it into that sort of, okay, in-game scenario, that's what shifts it. So I, um, you know, but this, it was really fascinating to, to read through this and watch uh, the adjustments and how quickly this picked up on it. But of course, all these teams who have incredibly rich technology have had some algorithm like this to work on it, and they will continue to it. I just asked the question on, are you, uh, you know, are you going to get away from fingers? It just seems like that's going to go away because it's too easy ultimately to pick it up. And unless you're just like hit the ball anyway, like Trevor Bauer, uh, if you really believe that this should be something that's top secret and only communicated in, you know, in the secret chamber between catcher and pitcher and team, that's one thing. But if you think it's like, well, you still have to hit the ball, that's another. But uh, it, it's definitely something that's going to, change everything within <clears throat> within this well, you know if we have this season uh, we know now that all these teams have these capabilities it's just what they're going to do with it and if they're going to act responsibly with it yeah and I, I i i broached this to max especially when i talked to him and said well i mean is why are we still wiggling fingers <laughs> you know we've been doing yeah. that for a hundred years the nfl's been delivering these their signals electronically for more than a quarter century and you'd think after being through this, going through this, he would have said, all right, I'm all in. No, he said the opposite. He thinks the, the whole pitcher-catcher thing and, and giving the signs and trying to steal signs without using cameras and, and technology, that's part of baseball that he loves. And he doesn't want to change. But, you know, to go back to the story we talked about earlier, another one of the ideas, this one came from Joe Madden, was... This would be a time if we're, you know, people are talking about let's mic up players to try right. to connect to the audience. Well, let's mic up the pitcher and the catcher, uh, mic up the manager, mic up the pitching coach, mic up the third base coach, and let's let's take that for a spin and see if we can actually call pitches electronically. I don't know, it's something to to think about, something to try out because as this thing proves, um, just wiggling fingers, putting down fingers. Uh, sitting around our office, we could we could steal signs. So uh, we're in a whole new realm of baseball. Uh, Doug, at the top of this show, 
we talked about how much time we're spending in our houses. Obviously, it's not just us sitting around the house. That's now everyone. So what do people do when they can't leave their houses? They watch TV. They watch movies on TV. And to everyone listening, I bet most of you do not know that Doug and I have both appeared on what used to be known as the silver screen and is now known as the flat screen. Okay. <laughs> Doug starred in the 2001 blockbuster Summer Catch, which Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jessica Beale actually thought they started wrong. And I clearly upstaged John Hamm, Alan Arkin, Bill Paxton in the 2014 <laughs> Harvest International Film Festival award-winning film Million Dollar Arm. Uh, I'm still waiting for the arrival of my Oscar for my role for best non-supporting non-actor in a non-speaking role. But man, I was good at that. Uh, so, so Doug, why don't we take people inside our little brushes with cinematic fame? You can tell us now, what was it like for you filming the great motion picture <laughs> Summer Catch? Yeah, that was so fun. That was a lot of fun. I mean, the um, the producer director is named Mike Tolan, and he's uh, he does Mike a lot. Well. Of, yeah, he's and yeah, Mike is you know he's amazing. Does all these storytelling and um, so so Mike's dad lived down the street from me when I lived in in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, so of course he did. Uh, now you know they have Philly roots, so they of course wanted to work with the Phillies. So that's how it kind of started and. We, I remember, you know, being a, you know, SAG card carry, you know, carrying member and all these things that we had to sign up for, but it evolved to the point where we were in Cincinnati and Junior Ken Griffey Jr. was on the team at the time, and we had to record, I'm using these old terms, right, film before, uh, before the game. So we actually had a game that day, and we came out somewhere like 11:30 or something. <laughs> yeah, it was, so we okay. were a little nervous about being tired and all that. So they had a body double for Freddie Prince Jr. He was a a pitcher, a lefty from Duke University, and he was nasty. I mean, he threw like in his mid 80s, but his ball went all over the place. So it was interesting to hear the producers, directors, not so much Tolan, but the on-field guys, talk about. You know, oh, well, look, Ken, I want you to hit the ball 473 feet just over the Synergy field sign right into that seat, and we're going to throw it to you. And it was like, what? You know, so he kept trying, and and Junior, he could only hit two home runs in this, you know, he kept throwing, kept throwing, kept throwing, and he only hit him, and he hit him right down the right field line, so I was supposed to be in the shot. So we kept going over, and finally I walked in from center, and I said to the guy, look, um, can you just throw the ball over the fence? You know, we're getting close to game time here and I'll, I'll sell it. I'll just make it look good, you know? So, um, so it was crazy. And, and Freddie Prince was like always on his cell phone. We were, you know, talking and we were kind of teasing about, is that your girlfriend, your wife, whatever. And um, yeah, the, uh, you know, Pat Burrell was there and Mike Lieberthal was catching. Uh, so we, you know, we had a blast, and of course, Junior messing around, being, being fun. So it was, it was a great time. We ended up doing the red carpet event in Philly. And, I went. Oh, it's, it's right. You, got, you did go to that book. Where, where, what? what I, I went to two different that? premieres of that that film. I went to the one at the All Star Game 
is it like yeah. in Seattle that year? And then I went to a, went to the the other one in Philly. I didn't yeah. get to walk the red carpet, but I get to go. Yeah, red carpet was cool. And and I, her name is Zena Gray. She was the mascot in that, and she was great. She was so funny. <laughs> um, I it, it was, and she was young and really tiny, like you know, thirteen or whatever. But um, what a what a great time. And I'm I'm in touch with Freddie Prince to this day. We I was yeah, like, text him and and you know always on. But we joke about my Academy Award for. Uh, best actor who played himself, who was wearing spikes at the time, who also had a glove in his hand and a hat <laughs> in Cincinnati. I won that award hands down. So it was yeah, so did. much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a very impressive tale. I can definitely top it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I was invited to be an extra in Million Dollar Arm by my old friend Chip Namius, who does PR for lots of sports movies. And one of his brilliant techniques for promoting those movies is... Let's cast real sports writers in the movie. Then we can pat ourselves in the back when the same sports writers write these awesome columns about appearing in that movie. It works every time. It worked great <laughs> in this one. Uh, so in this movie, our cast of baseball writers consisted of me, Ken Rosenthal, uh, Tom Verducci from SI and MLB Network, Jeff Passan, now at ESPN, Bob Nightingale at USA Today, and uh, my good friend Scott Miller from Bleacher Report. Now, uh, the, our scene was supposed to be taking place in Tempe, Arizona. Um, standing in for Tempe, Arizona that day was Georgia. <laughs> so we flew to Georgia, and we thought we were playing writers in the movie, watching these two kids from India trying out for a bunch of scouts. Uh, then when the movie came out, we found out we weren't writers, we were scouts. <laughs> so apparently nobody could tell the difference anyway. It didn't matter. Uh, we were we were big movie stars. We didn't care what, what the heck we were. Now, uh, just so you know, the movie is a true story. Uh, it's about an yes. agent, uh, J.B. Bernstein, right? He, who was played by the great John Hamm. And he goes to India looking for kids who know nothing about baseball. And he gets their attention by offering them a million bucks if they can win this pitching contest. And then the idea is that the kid who wins gets a tryout in front of scouts uh, for the chance to sign a contract with a big league team. Uh, it wound up, they, they wound up with two kids, and they really did try out and sign contracts. It's a really fun, true story. So... Here was my thing. Uh, here's what I did. I was We filmed the same scene 62 times, Doug. <laughs> 62. I was in charge of counting. I had a pad. I kept counting. So from the moment the sun came up till the moment the sun went down, we filmed this scene. Now, there was a little... This includes like the, the milling around before the tryout and the... Everybody kind of dispersing after the tryout, but this 62 times. So they picked us up in the hotel lobby, 5.15 a.m. Good Ooh. time for sports writers. Then they dropped us off at about 9 that night. So that's oh almost goodness. 16 hours. And all we did was shoot one scene over <laughs> and over and over again. Uh, most of the day, it was like 1,000 degrees. At one point, it poured. We all got drenched. But oh you know what? Goodness. It was awesome. Awesome. And we did get to spend some fun time with John Hamm 
uh, went to dinner with us the night before. He's a huge, huge yeah, baseball Card- fan. The Cardinals, right? Cardinal the fan. Cardinals. Yeah, best friend yeah. growing up was Ted Simmons' son. Uh, John Hamm subscribes to The Athletic, by the way. And so, all right, so he walked into dinner and he marched right up to me and he said, Hey, Jason, I'm John. And I went, Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and he was the best. I love John Hamm. Uh, he even uh, wrote a back cover blurb for my Wild Pitches book. And if you read that blurb, you'll say what I said. Holy crap, John Hamm has actually read me. <laughs> he wasn't just faking it. He knew exactly who the hell I was. So top that, Glanville. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the, the summer summer catch, what was kind of cool, uh, and, I, and that, I saw that movie, and I went to the premiere, by the way, for a million dollars. And the, I think the producer and director, he, was from, he went to the University of Maryland, I think. I ran into him later at University of Maryland. So, um, But yeah. the yeah, I'm not sure which Mark which, Mark uh, Charty was a Mark. was the producer Charty. and he pitched in the big leagues for the Brewers. Yeah, that's him. That's and him. That, that's him. That's yeah, and he's made all these all these fantastic sports films. He made Miracle. Yeah, he's he's solid. Yeah, I ran into him at a, a, a lecture at University of Maryland. Amazing. So, uh we and remembered, but I remember they gave us a really cool binder like a leather binder at the premiere, so I still have it. But uh, yeah, that was a very good movie. I, I really enjoyed it. And playing, you know, in Puerto Rico, or when you're playing away, you know, away from home, it's it kind of connected the dots. How challenging it is. Uh, but the Cape part, and I played in the Cape in 1990, so it was nice to see the summer catch capture this really beautiful, nostalgic, kind of a poetic league that you know takes place every summer. An amateur playing in wood bats. Uh, they, they, I just thought they, you know, caught that really well. I got to really talk a lot about those stories behind playing in the Cape and what makes it magical. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a great way to frame uh, history and frame our passion for the game and all these baseball stories like Mister Baseball. That's a good sleeper. Check it out, Bull Durham. Uh, can I say something that's very controversial very quickly about uh, movies? <laughs> Um, I mean, my, my Twitter thing might get blown up here, but I wasn't really a big fan of field of dreams. Just, I, I'm just going to throw that out there. I know people, I don't know all if people right, passed out out there, but I'm wow. just, I'm just saying that. Um, okay. All right. I'll tell you what, um, we're not, that, we're, we're going to get back to this next week. I think one of the things we should do during this time is talk about ways that we can fill our, our passion for baseball and how much we miss baseball. Talking about different baseball movies is a good way to do it. We're definitely yes. getting into Field of Dreams, which I love, and still stop and watch anytime I run across it on cable. Anytime. And I wish I could go to the game in Iowa. That's how much I love it. So take that. Uh, hey. I appreciate it. One last thing. Yeah, one last yes. thing. Now, mention this. I miss baseball. You miss baseball. I miss watching baseball. I know you do. So I'm going to tell you what I did the other night. Now, I was egged on by my friend Ken Krasalovich. You might have met him in your time in Philly. He's the former baseball coach at St. Joseph's University. He was egging me on to watch an edition of the old Home Run Derby show uh, from the 60s in black and white. And he, he wants baseball to restage that show, but that's like a little side plot. Um, all right, so I went to YouTube and I found that these shows live on like 50 years later on YouTube. So what I did was 
I watched a home run derby classic between Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays. Doug, you ever heard of those guys? You ever heard of this show? Yep, I I have. I have heard of the show. (laughs) And those are pretty good players. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so the real star of the Home Run Derby show is the announcer, some guy named Mark Scott, who who is not to be confused with, let's say, Vince Scully. Okay. And he, he engages in truly surreal banter with the stars during the derby and it's classic so what i did doug i live tweeted this sh- the, the show as i watched it oh. and like some of this stuff is just great um okay so Mays hits four homers in his first six swings uh mickey struggles so Mays is up four one after one inning so now mickey mantle trudges back to this chair where he has to sit next to Mark Scott. And this is what Mark Scott says to him. Well, Mickey, you hit some of those ground balls fairly solid. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's what he says. All right, so now May starts running away with this thing. Uh, After after four innings, he's up seven to two. And here comes Mickey Mantle trudging back to his seat. And Mark Scott says to him, well, Mick, you hit some foul balls that time. They went out of the park just in the wrong direction. And Mantle looks at him and he goes, yeah. <laughs> okay. right, that's they put this on TV. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Doug, have you watched these shows? You have to watch I, I them. Have. I, yeah, I have. I've seen a couple and, and uh, before, and then I paid particular attention to this one. I mean, I love how Mantle, like they have him at a desk. It's almost like a Johnny Carson. Like he comes in full <laughs> uniform yes. and he's sitting at a desk. It's like, what's going on? And uh, I love, well, one thing I think they should actually take from this, well, maybe if it's your dad, I guess it depends, but um, they pay the the one who gives up the most home runs, right? The pitcher, he actually gets a bonus. He gets paid. Like, um, so <laughs> yes. I was like, that's a great idea. Yeah. Like give incentives to throw strikes and everything. But um, yeah, so the introduction, the wondrous Willie Mays, and I forgot the fence climbing Mickey Mantle, they had some crazy, um, his, his adjectives <laughs> right. were, were like off right. the rails. And and why did they pick, by the way, a day where they were in shadows? There was a shadow cutting right between the mound and the home plate. Like, why would you pick that time of day to do a home run derby? Like, it was they, absolutely... But... Right, they, the hitters are in the shadows. <laughs> this is the see. most low-tech show ever on television. It's the best. So uh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about uh, live-tweeting one home run derby every week then, you know, I'll post it on Twitter, right, that we're going to do it, and then we can review it on Starkville. What do you think? I mean, I'll absolutely. I'd be all for it because Mark <laughs> Scott is like cinema TV magic. Yes, uh, sir. That's what it is. So I think what we'll do is, like, I'll post a, a – a, we'll do it like a Twitter poll. Choose the, the Home Run Derby show we're going to watch tonight. Uh, then the winner, that's what we'll watch. I'll post the time. We'll watch it. And then we'll live tweet it and we'll talk about it every week on Starkville. That is podcasting. That is the pinnacle of podcasting uh, achievement. And that's what we're doing here. Um, But that's actually all that we're doing here this week. It's going to do it for this episode of Starkville. Uh, I promise we'll come back next week. We'll help you fill that void that baseball leaves in your life when there's none of it. So... 
let's remind you one more time. We are now available absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe to Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much everywhere podcasts are sold. And of course, you can still find us at The Athletic app and The Athletic website. Also need to remind you, if you like baseball, you listen to this podcast, there's probably some team in the big leagues that you root for. And if you do, The Athletic has you covered with 16 local Major League Baseball podcasts. We've got the best baseball writers in the business. We've got broadcasters. We've got former players. And as we have mentioned, all of the athletic baseball podcasts are now free on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. So check out the Athletic Network of Baseball Podcasts today. And if you've ever thought about subscribing to The Athletic, now is actually a great time to do that. You can try out our 90-day free trial by going to theathletic.com slash Starkville. And in between podcasts, remember to read us on The Athletic website and on The Athletic app. Also remember, once we get back to uh, fun and games and trivia stuff, you too can be part of this podcast you just have to submit a trivia question that our evil mayor, Cam, decides, well, that'll definitely stump me. It'll stump Doug. So let's talk about that. Um, so you can submit that question either by email at starkville at theathletic.com. That's starkville with an E at theathletic.com. Or you can send in those questions via Twitter, where you can find me at Jason with a Y-S-T. And Doug, they could find you at? Uh, Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Just my name. Yep. And remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag StarkvilleQS. That's Starkville with an E. Q-S. Doug, thanks very much for playing. Thanks to you all for listening. Hang in there out there. We will see you next week on Starkville.